If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to talk about a biblical understanding of leadership this morning. Last night at a quarter to 10 or so, as of that time, I was on Amazon and searched for books on church leadership. And at that time, last night, there was 46,541 books for sale on Amazon on church leadership. Found that interesting, a lot of books to choose from. How do you choose? Here's a few of the titles that just caught my eye as I scrolled through a couple pages. The first one is, Take the Lid Off Your Church. I don't know what that means. I guess I have to buy the book. Six Steps to Building a Healthy Senior Leadership Team. The second one was Church According to Starbucks. Sounds interesting. A Modern Approach to Church Growth, Church Leadership, and Church Vitality. The next one I came across was Ducking Spears, Dancing Madly, a biblical model for church leadership. I found, that was intriguing to me, at least from the cover and the title. I don't know what that means, but uh, Ducking Spears. John, have you ever ducked a spear in pastoral ministry? I haven't yet, so we have to look forward to that. The last one was Canoeing the Mountains, Christian Leadership in Uncharted Territory. Well, the one thing these books have going from is creative titles. Uh, I'm not sure, I've not read any of them, so I don't know exactly what they're going for, but it, I think it was astounding to me that as I searched for books on church leadership, 46,000 plus uh, was the selection. Well, I searched further and added a semicolon and searched elders, or elder actually, in the search box to find out what would it pull. And of the 46,541 book titles, 250, 0.5%, would discuss the biblical model that we believe and what we teach of Eldership. I found that intriguing that only that small percentage, 250. And we, as a, as a leadership, as a church, believe that Christ is the head of the church, but he's installed and gave us elders to lead the church. So this morning, we're going to walk through leadership here in the church, a mark of a healthy church, and, and, and realize that there's many in our world that attempt to follow a pattern that's outside of the biblical realm and Get into trouble. And I want to tell you something this morning, folks, okay? If you don't get anything else out of the message, get this. Life goes so much better when you obey God's word. Thank you. I was going to ask that next question. Can I get amen? But Heber's here. We say this to our kids on a daily basis, and it preaches back to us as parents. Life goes better for us when we obey. God gave us his word. Life goes better when we obey. And that's the case with, with this, the model of what leadership looks like in the church. Life goes better for us as believers looking to worship and serve God if we obey his word. So this morning, we're going to tackle the topic of church leadership, specifically elders, and, and see what the scripture teaches about what the model is. If you're unsure of our church, we are an elder-led church. Our desire is a church, and as our convictions line up with as best we can see in Scripture, we want to obey what God has for us. You may be here this morning and, <clears throat> and don't have a lot of church background. And so I'm guessing the idea of elder, some sort of elder board, probably stirs up some different thoughts in your minds, maybe like the Jedi Council or some young kid that comes to your door with a white shirt on and says, Elder Joe, and he's 16 of the Mormon church. And so you're not sure what this elder means or what elder board means. You don't have a framework to understand that. So 
I wanna try to give you that this morning. I mean, your backgrounds don't lend you to it, so I wanna walk through a few things so you can have an, a better understanding of what we teach as a church. Maybe some of you this morning have had negative reactions to what the role of elder is and the position of elders in churches. Maybe there were men who were domineering, men who loved power, who demanded and didn't show grace, didn't show love, didn't wanna teach. Well, I hope in our study this morning, you will see the, the biblical model, the model that we strive for at a church here to see how we can be faithful to the text that elders function in a way to honor and glorify God. So if your Bibles turn to 1 Peter chapter five, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to have one. We have some in the foyer. We can make sure we get one for you. Most of you have electronic devices. You can turn to it there, download your Bible app, but that's okay. We want you to have the scripture in front of you to see what we're looking at here. So 1 Peter chapter five, and I'm gonna read the text. We'll eventually get there later in the sermon, but I'm gonna read it here and then pray and then get started. 1 Peter five, starting in verse one. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance we've had to come together and to worship you, to worship you in song, to focus our attention upon you in the words of the songs, and I thank you for the, the opportunity of, of joining together for that, and also for the opportunity to worship you in giving. God, you've given us so much. You've supplied everything for us, and it's a privilege to give back to you. In the worship of reading your word, the worship of prayer, and now, Father, as we worship you and the preaching of your word, I pray that you would bring understanding to us. I pray that you would speak this morning through me, that you would be the teacher here, the guy that as we look at your word, that we would come away uh, changed, growing from what we see and understand from your word. I pray that as we walk through this idea and understanding of leadership and what an elder is, I pray that people bring their questions and to sort through this and see it as we see it in scripture. They'll understand what an elder is and what an elder is not and, and what an elder does. I pray that they would understand this, that they would spur them on to to pray for our elders, to pray for, for new elders, the elders that you would bring to our church to serve our body. I thank you again for your faithfulness to us and, and uh, help us, give us understanding this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Leadership, what is a leader? S.L. Bringle, one commentator talking about church leadership says this, he says, leadership is not won by promotion, but by many prayers and tears. It is attained by confessions of sin and much heart searching and humbling before God, by self-surrender, a courageous sacrifice of every idol, a bold, deathless, uncompromising, and uncomplaining embracing of the cross, and by an eternal, unfaltering looking into Jesus crucified. It is not gained by seeking great things for ourselves, but rather like Paul, by counting those things that are gained to us as loss for Christ. That is a great price, but it must be unflinchingly pay, paid by him 
who would be not merely nominal, but a real spiritual leader of men, a leader whose power is recognized and felt in heaven, on earth, and in hell. And he's right in this quote. There is a great price in being a leader of God's people, but there's also a great reward, as we'll see in 1 Peter chapter 5. Before we get to 1 Peter chapter 5, I want to answer two questions. First, what is an elder? Well, who are they? What, is it? what does the Bible teach about that? And second is, what is not an elder? That's usually where we, we come in and think, I think an elder is this. And I want to answer some of those maybe questions you've had. So what is an elder? What is not an elder? And the last one we'll answer in 1 Peter is, what does an elder do? So first, what is an elder? You know, it's very common. I've had a few people actually after the first service come up to me and, and say that many churches they've been involved in don't have this term. They don't use this term in leadership. Many churches just want to call them ministry leaders or uh, I'm not even sure all the details and all the words they use to de uh, designate leaders. And for them, it makes no difference. They can call them whatever they want. They don't want to use a biblical definition. They just want to say they, they lead. If you've ever been a part of a Baptist church, I have for many years. It's common in the last hundred years in most Baptist churches to have one single pastor elder and then a board of deacons and sometimes a, a board of trustees. But we here at Edgewood Bible Church have a leadership structure that, is, that we believe and we're convicted follows the biblical pattern. We have a, a board of elders that lead the church. And our elders are charged with care and feeding, as well as spiritual guidance of the entire church family. 1 Timothy 3.5 says that the job of an elder is to manage the household of God, to manage the ministry. As elders, we are to be caretakers of the flock that God has entrusted to us. And there's a number of uh, interchangeable names given to leaders of the church, the elders of the church. In Acts 20, verse 17, the term elder is there. And then later in verse 28, in that same chapter, it's, it's written as overseers. But it's the same understanding. It's the same person. An overseer is one that gives watch over someone or something. They're interchangeable. Later in another passage, you'll see them as bishops. So all those are interchangeable. You can call me Bishop Coulter if you like. It's there. But bishops, overseer, elder, pastor, they're all interchangeable, meaning the function of this leader that God has given to the church. And in 1 Timothy, you see a distinction, though, between the offices. I had this question afterwards in the first service between elder and deacon. And most of the qualifications between the two are the same, except for one caveat. The elders must be able to teach. And D.A. Carson, one of his commentaries, has observed that all the qualities that Paul mentions here in 1 Timothy, and we don't have time this morning to go through all of those, um, they're all elsewhere mentioned in the New Testament implied to all Christians. All Christians should aspire to these things. All of these are listed except for one, the one to be able to teach. And so you see from that that, that elders are, are different in that one area than deacons. And it's teaching. It's very important to the elder's responsibility. The deacons have many important tasks, but that's not one of them. Both the offices, elder and deacons, are, are vital, though, to the growth of the church. Now, one further word about elders and teaching, though. When, when the scripture states that the elders must be able to teach, it doesn't state that they must be able to preach every Sunday. There are some that are more gifted in that way. There's a distinction, I believe. And the point is, is that elders must be qualified to handle the word of God and bring understanding to people in which they've been entrusted to shepherd. As an elder, you need to handle God's word, meaning you understand it and you want to bring understanding to other people to know and understand God's word, to trust it. So this elder may not be the best or even impressive speaker, 
but he needs to be passionate, loving God's word. He wants to bring understanding to the listener so they understand God's word and to believe it. Alexander Strauch in his book, Biblical Eldership, and let me mention that right now. I usually mention a few books during this, this series, and there's three in particular I wanted to mention, but Alexander Strauch's book, Biblical Eldership, I read this a number of years ago when I first got in ministry, has brought great understanding of this role in the office of elder. Um, and he quotes here, but a few others I'll mention, The Deliberate Church by Mark Dever and Paul Alexander, a great tool if you wanna learn more about what it means to serve in these leadership roles is a great book. And then a smaller one by the Nine Marks series called Church Elders. And Jermaine Ryan is the one that writes this. All great books. If you want to get those titles afterwards, come see me. I can I'm show you the, the books. But Alexander Strauch in his book, Biblical Eldership, writes this in regarding to elders and their role of, of teaching. He says, the ability to teach entails three basic elements. One, a knowledge of scripture. Two, the readiness to teach. And three, the ability to communicate. This does not mean that an elder must be an eloquent orator or a dynamic lecturer or a highly gifted teacher, of which there are very few. But an elder must know the Bible and be able to instruct others from it. In his parallel list of elder qualifications in Titus 1, Paul expands upon the means to be able to teach. He writes, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it, Titus 1.9. An elder, then, must be able to open his Bible and to exhort and encourage others from it. He must also be able to discern false teachers and false teaching and rebuke them with Scripture. God's Word brings growth to the church and protects it from falsehood. Therefore, shepherd elders must be able to teach God's Word. That is listed there for us as elders. So that is what an elder is, and brief. The second question I have is, what is not an elder? What is not an elder? There's a lot of confusion in our world, those that visit a number of churches and they ask these questions, they're good questions. And, and Mark Dever in his book, The Deliberate Church, that I mentioned, has five statements, and I wanna walk through these and expand upon them of what, what an elder is, is not. The first one is an elder is not simply an old man. Maybe you've thought that before. I mean, the, the Greek word actually points to that and usually it revolves around the idea they have wisdom. And that's a good thing. We want elders to have wisdom, but it's not simply mean they're an old man. I'm an elder and I'm definitely not an old man. I'll argue with that point to you. I feel old sometimes, but it's not necessarily how many gray hairs you had in your head. That's not the point. That's not what he's driving at. There, there are certainly a number of godly older men who do not meet the qualifications of an elder. You might have been in a church or observed in other churches that older men are the ones who are the only ones who are qualified to be an elder. But that's not the pattern that we see in scriptures, although it happens that way. I am sure there are 30-year-old men or even younger that are more qualified to be an elder of those that are twice their age. And the point is, we come back to what scripture says. We go back into 1 Timothy 3. We go back into Titus 1. That is where it's laid out of what an elder is. It does not necessarily mean they have to be 65, 70, 80 years old. So it's not their age. Second, an elder is not simply... An an involved community member. If a man serves his community on a board or a neighborhood council or um, serving on some situation where he can work with the mayor, that, that's all good opportunities. It gives him opportunity to share the gospel. But that doesn't mean necessarily that he's qualified to be an elder. A man can be a PTA president or coach a little league or lead a Boy Scout troop and still not be qualified to be an elder. 
serving these areas around the community um, doesn't disqualify an elder, but it doesn't shoo him in either. We continue to go back to what the qualifications are in Scripture. The third thing, an elder is not simply a successful businessman. There are churches that have fallen into this trap in the past. Well, this guy has a good business, so he must be qualified. We don't, we don't fall into that. We don't go that direction. As you read through the qualifications of elders, you might find a number of character traits listed that are not found in those who are successful businessmen in our culture. In fact, there might be a number of successful businessmen that would be at the bottom of the pool of potential elders because how they function as businessmen doesn't line up with what the scripture says. We are not looking for, in our church, men who know how to get what they want. We're not, we're not looking for men who are able to manage people, to raise money, or to negotiate contracts, or work the system. That's not what a role of an elder is. Leadership in the church is fundamentally different than leadership in the business world. We keep coming back to this understanding in Scripture. Elders should be known as men who do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than themselves, as Philippians says. As elders, we should have the same mindset of Christ, who, who though he's in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself in taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. I, I try to make this clear distinction when we talk about that from the pulpit and from conversation that when elders come, they are serving the church. There's a distinction there. When men come on the board to serve as an elders at EBC, they're, they're called to serve the flock that God has given us. This is a body of believers that God has entrusted to us. And so we function as leaders who are distinctively Christian in doctrine and in servanthood and holiness and faith and love. So all this to say, there very much be someone possible, sorry, who could be a very good, successful businessman and still be qualified as an elder. Don't pit those two together. They're not opposed. We come back to, we keep coming back to what the scripture says. Fourth, an elder is not simply a good old boy. You've heard that phrase before, a good old boy. You know, he's been in the same area for the same amount of time, 30 plus years. He knows everyone. He's a good guy. And so it just seems natural. He's been here long enough. Let's make him an elder. That's not how we see it in scripture. It's not a matter of, of likability. Uh, you know, likability is necessary to a certain point because if no one likes you at all, you're probably not qualified to be an elder, and there's other things we want to talk about. But on the other side of it, likability isn't the only thing. Just because everyone likes you doesn't mean you're qualified to be an elder. Likability can be deceptive and not a, a sure tale sign that someone's qualified to be an elder. And so we keep coming back to what Scripture says. The last one I want to mention this morning is an elder is not a female. It's clear in Scripture. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and Titus 1, 5 through 9 assume male leadership in the church. We read in 1 Timothy 3, starting in verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. 
Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Paul begins this this passage in 1 Timothy 3 with the first requirement, if anyone, or in the New American Standard, if any man. And the Greek word here is is a masculine form. It's in agreement with all the the masculine forms that you see in the adjectives from verses two through six. It's talking to men. And it becomes especially clear when you come to verse two, the husband of one wife. And I gotta say, it still astounds me to see churches that miss this and place women in leadership of elders and pastors. And I wanna tell you why. Paul roots this prohibition in the order of creation from Genesis 1 and 2. Adam was created before Eve, revealing Adam's God-given place of headship over her. Both are created equal in the image of God, but God has given them different yet complementary roles. They've given them roles to fill, not only in the church, but in the home. And, And I need to say here, this church would not function healthy without women who serve in roles in this church. It's not to say one is higher and better than the other. It's the roles that God has given. We need that in this church. They're different roles, though. So women are not to be elders or pastors of the church, but they have vital roles throughout the church, throughout their home and society. This has nothing to do with gifts and abilities. It has nothing to do with that. This has to do with design and God's plan for flourishing, both in the church and the home. It comes back to what I said to begin with. Obeying God's word is better for us. And this may be hard, and you think, oh, I'm putting down women. I'm not by any stretch. My home would not run the way it would without my wife. And this church would not run the way it should without women who serve in roles, who give of themselves constantly. Right? Amen? We'll have to expand on that. Well, I would love to do a series on, on womanhood and manhood. You know, Johnny did that with the junior high kids, and we need to do that here because I think it gives better understanding of what the role of a husband is, the role of a wife. And we see that they're not pitted against each other. God planned this, and, and our culture's fighting against this every step of the way. We wanted to see and understand from God's word this perfect plan and be obedient to it because God blesses in that. So, so we talked about what an elder is, what an elder is not. The last thing I want you to see is what does an elder do? And so we're in 1 Peter 5. You've faithfully had your Bibles open there. Look again at verse one, 1 Peter 5, and we're gonna look just at the first four verses for our remaining time this morning. Peter writes, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. We've unpacked a little bit of what an elder is and what he isn't, and and we'll have to spend more time walking through that at, at a different time. But Peter here writes out and lays out for us three things that an elder does in their service to the Lord. The three things I want to cover here. First, the faithful elder shepherds the flock of God. A faithful elder shepherds the flock of God. Second, a faithful elder exercises oversight. And third, a faithful elder receives a crown. So first, the faithful elder shepherds the flock of God. He begins his chapter by exhorting his fellow elders, those that are serving the church. And he's writing to a church that is suffering, that will suffer. 
He encourages those elders to continue to press on in the ministry that God has called them to because there will come a day when they will see the glory revealed when Jesus comes back for his bride. And then he charges those elders in verse two. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. What comes to your mind when you hear the word shepherding? Sheep, right? Commentator Olensky writes, flock brings to mind all the shepherd imagery found in the scriptures. The sheep gentle, defenseless, liable to stray, needing a shepherd, happy, peaceful, under his care, pitiful when lost and scattered. This is God's flock, he writes, that when brought at a great price that is exceedingly precious in his sight, a great trust placed in the hands of human shepherds who are to pattern after the shepherd, Christ. But the the shepherd could have, have the care of any part of God's flock and treat it carelessly. How could they do this? Peter's words are not, Excuse me, Peter's words are sparing, but overflow with tender and serious meaning. But if you're honest this morning, unless you're seated here this morning and actually are a shepherd over sheep, this terminology seems to be lost on our culture. You know, if if I say to my neighbors, and I'm a pastor and elder, I shepherd people, they look at me like, huh? They don't understand that. I mean, if I explain the terminology, they may be, come to a better understanding, but it seems to be lost so much. You know, we don't come alive with vision and excitement when we come to this verse. And we wanna, we wanna gravitate to a language of our day to describe what a leader is. That's so much of the books that I saw on Amazon wanna gravitate that. And their desire, I think, I wanna, is to explain this. Their desire is to explain to people What I believe happens in that is that we lose significance of what God has for us and what God has set up for us. The text of scripture, not just this passage, but many others, is relentless about the image of shepherding. Psalms talk about God as our shepherd in Psalm 23. The prophet in Ezekiel 34 refers to Israel's leadership as the shepherds of Israel. And Jesus, in this passage this morning, is called our chief shepherd. So instead of inventing new terms, that suit our cultural understandings, we're smarter just to go with what Scripture says. Just go with what the Bible says. And in Alexander Strzok's book, I've already mentioned this morning, he talks about the four duties of an elder to properly shepherd the church. I want to walk through those here quickly. For, For elders to faithfully shepherd the church, the first thing they do is to feed the flock. The second thing they do is lead the flock. Third, they protect the flock. And fourth, they care for the flock. So the first one, Elders shepherd when they feed the flock. According to Scientific American Magazine, most human beings will starve to death three to four weeks without food and water. Did you guys know that? What do you learn from that? You need to eat to live. It's rocket science right here. How many of you are going to go eat after this service? Raise your hand. Half of you. So I'm going to pray for the rest of you. We eat to live. The human body needs food and water to live. It's the same for the church. We we live when we're fed. The elders of our church are charged with the responsibility to feed the flock. It's the elders' responsibility to exhort others in sound doctrine, to preach the word, to contend for the faith, to feed the flock. It is the elder's responsibility. 
we, as elders, we, to properly shepherd the flock that God has entrusted us, we need to do a few things. We need to pray the word, we preach the word, we counsel the word, we live the word. It all centers back to what God's word says. We pray the word, being so saturated with what God's word says, we begin to pray it and, and lead others to do the same, and we preach the word. Not only to ourselves, but to those that God has entrusted to us. And we counsel with the word. When, when people in our congregation, or our families and friends have issues, we, we bring God's word into those situations, not therapeutic moral advice. No, we give them God's word. That is what we have to give. We use the Bible and we live the word. As the word of God takes deep root in our lives, it pours into our actions and our responses and our speech and all of our life. So we feed the flock. The second thing an elder should do, elder shepherd when they lead the flock. Derek Tidball, in his book, writes about this. He says, the skillful shepherds will lead the sheep. They will not be content for the flock to remain as they are, nor even to manage them more efficiently. They will seek the growth of the flock numerically, and they will seek their progress individually and corporately towards maturity. They will not be managers for managers deal in seen realities, but leaders for leaders deal in unseen potentials. Elders must be men of strong character. A good and faithful elder is one who leads the flock by leading himself well. He pays attention to himself, to the depth and the strength of his walk with God. He's aware of his weaknesses and then sees those and doesn't just lose heart. No, he looks to God's word to give growth, to sanctification in those areas. An elder who seeks to lead the flock realizes that people do not follow based upon solely the words that he says, but how he lives. He models to the church, this is what a Christian is and looks to train others to follow the Savior. So elders shepherd the flock by feeding them, by leading them. The third one is they protect the flock. If there's one thing that will kill the life of a church, it's the spreading of false teaching. The pastoral epistles of 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus are chock full of warnings about false teachers. And elders protect the church by protecting their hearts and protecting the doctrine, protecting what we teach in our church. It's our job as elders to protect the flock that God has given us, just like a father protects his family. Fathers, you know this, right? If someone's gonna cause harm to your family, you're gonna do everything you can in your power to stop them, to protect your family. I would be a foolish and lazy father if I allowed anyone to come and take my kids and to teach them anything they wanted and just say, it's okay. They'll figure it out. If I allowed that as a father who constantly neglected my responsibility to protect my kids, you would report me. You would come to me, hopefully, and say, you can't do this. You need to stop. But then you would, you would do something in the protection of children. It's the same way as elders to the church. We are called to protect this church. We're called to be watchmen and defenders and guardians of God's people because we're entrusted with this. And our guide is God's word. So elders shepherd the church by feeding, by leading, by protecting, and forth they shepherd when they care for the flock. Just this week, I received a call from a pastor friend, an elder in a church not too far away, asking for prayer and encouragement because he received a call from one of his members to come to their house right away. And the call came through and said, I need you here right away. My son is dead. 
and her son committed suicide. He didn't know which son. Quickly got in the car and drove over there. And walking into a situation that is not normal. It's not normal. Hard, difficult, and looking to care and to minister to this woman in his church. Elders do that. That's what they do. That's what they're called to, to minister and to care for the flock, no matter the situation. Elders care for the flock when trouble comes, when a baby dies, when a divorce is about to happen, when a job is lost, or when a life has been taken. Eric, Derek Tidball said, the elder work is simply bringing to full flower the bud of the gospel in those situations. Bringing to full flower the bud of the gospel. Elders care for the flock just as a doctor cares for his patients. Elders patiently and lovingly care for the flock. They, they diagnose and, and treat illnesses with the word of God. They celebrate health and encourage wellness of the flock. Elders care for the flock by reminding those entrusted to him of the gospel. This is where our hope lies. This is where you need to run to. They remind people of the gospel that God is holy and we are not. That God has sent his son Jesus to come and to die for our sins and to raise him back to life. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And they will see him again. Elders care for the flock. The responsibilities of, of the elders to shepherd the church is big. But we serve a big God who gives us strength for the task. The second thing I want you to see in this passage is a faithful elder exercises oversight. Peter continues in the passage, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And in this exercise of oversight, there's some warnings that you see here in the text that Peter gives us. Three, in fact, that I see. A warning against laziness, a warning against greed, and a warning against pride. First, a warning against laziness. Peter writes, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. The temptation for all of us not to work hard is there. And it's most definitely for elders and for pastors. And there's something that's implied that Peter writes here. There's a threat that the elders in these churches feel like the work of the ministry is not really something that they want to do. So they're compelled to do it. They feel forced to do it when they would much rather do something else. This is definitely a sign that elders and pastors need to heed if, if they feel forced to be ministering. And he's warning them from drifting into a lazy, distracted pattern of ministry for the church body that, re that requires then compulsion to keep them going. Elders and pastors need to be willing to serve the church not out of obligation, not out of pressure or fear from others. If an elder or pastor begins that role out of fear to disappoint someone because they, they've always felt like this person should be in this role and so they don't want to disappoint and they feel compelled to do it, they need to ask some serious questions. We don't serve out of compulsion. We serve out of desire to serve God. We, we desire to have men here at EBC and, and roles of elders and deacons and pastors who do it out of joy and out of conviction that God has called them to serve people, to serve those that are entrusted to us. God wants men to serve out of joy, not for what they get out of it either. And that leads to the second warning here that Peter gives us. So a warning against greed. 
Peter writes, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Shameful gain means making the ministry a way to get rich. This especially applies to us pastors who make a living from preaching the gospel. We do not look at our position as, as pastor as a way to get paid to make a living. We, we should not be constantly looking for the days of vacation. We should not be constantly looking at how is our retirement benefits coming. We do not continue in ministry because we have a 401k that we need to build up so we can retire. We do not continue to preach the gospel because I don't have a savings that I can live on. And this is what Peter is warning against here. Shameful gain. Using the ministry for their own benefit. Now as pastors, we minister because of the value of the human soul and the preciousness of truth and the power of the Holy Spirit and the coming of the chief shepherd. That is why we minister. And so I asked this question of myself and I asked the other pastors on a regular basis, if the paycheck stopped coming tomorrow, would you continue to serve God as an elder and a pastor? This is a serious question and it deserves a serious answer. And God may decide to test me on this someday and the well might dry up. And what is my answer? Do I continue to serve God knowing that I won't get paid for it. And I'll have to find another way to supply for my family while I continue to serve God. You know, as a church, we enjoy the benefit of a tax-exempt status. Do you guys realize that? That that's a benefit from the government. As a church as a whole, as our, 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 all of our, that we own here, God has blessed us by not having to pay taxes in this property. And the rate we're going in our country, that's not always gonna be that case. And so when that happens and we begin to pay taxes on this, things will look different. We may not have full-time pastors. But if they're called and they're convicted that this is what God has for me, they'll do it on top of all the other work they need to do to supply for their family. We should serve as elders and pastors with eagerness, Paul tells us, or Peter tells us. He says we should love the work. We do it with eagerness. I've had a number of people ask me in the last month how the transition has gone to be, being senior pastor, and, and it's gone really well. I, I enjoy it. I said to Katie not too long ago, I was like, I, every morning I look forward to getting in the office and ministering and looking to see what God has for me to do. I enjoy it. I look, I look forward to what God is going to do in ministry. I find, find great joy in the work that God has given me. And that's the way it should be for us as, as pastors and elders. We do it eagerly, he says. We don't wait to be told to do something. We do it eagerly. We do it willingly, joyfully. And I pray that as myself and the other elders and pastors, that we, if we forget this, that we can challenge each other, to encourage each other. So there's gonna be times that are gonna be hard, times of discouragement to come in, and we need this encouragement. We need this reminder in, in Peter's epistle here to remind ourselves again what we're called to do. So this is the second warning against greed. The, the third is a warning against pride. Peter writes, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. When he says that elders are not to be domineering, which means that an elder is, is driven by power, or the love of power, actually. We should not be driven by an ego high of having authority. An, an elder, a pastor, shouldn't always have to be up front. 
He shouldn't always be the one who does the talking. I shouldn't always have to be the one that's preaching. It's good for other people to preach. It's good for you to hear other people preach. It's not about me. And, and I do that deliberately so that I don't fall in the trap of pride. I have to be careful in my own life that I don't fall in this trap that they have to hear from Jeff. They're not hearing from Jeff. So an elder is, and a pastor doesn't have to be called by a title. People ask me, what should I call you? Well, my mom named me Jeff. That's good enough for me. I understand the other side of respect and I appreciate that very much. So I'm not offended if you call me Pastor Jeff or Pastor. That doesn't offend me in any way, shape, or form. But if you're curious, my name's Jeff. Okay? It's good to meet you. The same with other pastors and elders. It's not there. It's not, and part of that is the idea that we're, we're working against this idea that we don't want pride to seep, seep into our life. You know what pride is? Pride is a failure to realize that without Christ, we can do nothing. A proud heart begins to think that they can be so self-reliant and then moves to the thoughts that their skill set is now indispensable. We are dispensable. I am dispensable. God chooses to use me in ministry, but he may choose to go a different direction at some point. He uses us, even though we're far from perfect. So we need to be aware of this idea of domineering and pride but he ends that section there, but being examples to the flock. Paul instructs Timothy to be an example to the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, in purity. And elders should lead with servant lowliness and should show by example of what a life of a Christian is. Do you want to know what the most, most important and first characteristic I look for in an elder or a pastor? The first and most important one is humility to understand who they are in light of the gospel, in light of God. You want to know what the second most important characteristic is? Humility. Can you guess what the third is? Humility. This is so important for us as leaders that we understand who we are, to remind ourselves again in light of the gospel who we are. This is not our church, this is God's. So Humility. As pastors and elders, we should constantly be praying that God would protect us and remove any pride that would hinder us in our ministry here at Edgewood Bible Church. The last thing I want you to see this morning as we end here is, is the hope that we have in verse four. A faithful elder receives a crown. He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. As elders, we should never forget that, the, that we, as elders and pastors, we answer directly to Jesus he is our chief shepherd, and he's coming back for us. And we need to remember that the church that we serve here, this church belongs to Jesus. Even though we faithfully serve and give of our lives here, this church belongs to Jesus. It's his church. He died for this church. It's his. And we serve God as elders and pastors. We serve him as under shepherds who lead and guide the sheep entrusted to us. I find it interesting, the term, I love it, that Peter uses here. He says, he uses the expression chief shepherd. This is the only time it's used in the New Testament. Chief shepherd. The Gospel of John calls him the good shepherd. The writer of Hebrews calls Christ the great shepherd. Earlier in the letter, Peter calls him the shepherd, the guardian of our souls. But nowhere else in the New Testament, Christ is called the chief shepherd. He is the shepherd above all shepherds. He is the head. He's in control. This is his church. 
Jesus is the one, the incomparable one, the irreplaceable one. He is the shepherd. We can be replaced. And if this church exists long, we will be replaced with other ones, Lord willing, that will lead this church. But no one replaces Jesus. This is his church. We serve at the pleasure of Jesus Christ. And when Christ comes, the under shepherds will receive their prize from Jesus. And what is it, he says? It's an unfading crown of glory. On that day when Christ comes back, all the labors, all the sacrifices, all the hardships of the elder life will be fully recognized and incredibly rewarded. We, we receive a crown in this context. It's used symbolically to re represent a, a reward or a special honor. This will be for faithful, honorable elders who have finished the race and have served the Lord in sincerity and truth. And this crown, this crown is nothing like earthly crowns. It says it will not fade. Everything we see on earth fades. Hendrickson, writing his commentary, says the Greek word for fade away re relates to a flower, a type of flower which does not lose its beauty and therefore symbolizes the immortality of this. And skillful hands formed a crown of these flowers and the crown was then given to the victor as a token of glory. And the crown is a metaphor, but the glory is a reality. It won't be our glory, but it'll be the glory of God, Christ's glory, his glory when he comes back, when he appears. We serve for the glory of God. Well, this morning, it wouldn't be a complete sermon if I didn't quote from Charles Spurgeon. He's one of my favorite preachers of all time. I look forward to seeing Jesus in heaven, to spending thousands and thousands and thousands of years with Jesus, and at some point, I'll get to meet Charles Spurgeon. I look forward to that. His books have been an incredible blessing to me, so I want to read a quote from one of the books. He talks about the church. It has blessed me and encouraged me this week. I want to share that with you this morning. Spurgeon writes, Give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you will feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I would never have found one or joined one at all. At the moment I did join it, if I had found one, a perfect one, I would have spoiled it, for it would have been not perfect anymore if I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have give, first given themselves to the Lord should as speedily as possible also give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on the earth? It is right for anyone to refrain from membership if it is right for anyone to remain, refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone, and then the testimony of God would be lost to the world. As I've already said, the church is faulty, but that is no excuse for you not joining it. If you are the Lord's, join. Nor need your own faults keep you back, for the church is not an institution of perfect people, but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace, who, though they are saved, are still sinners and need all the help they can derive from the sympathy and guidance of fellow believers. The church is the nursery for God's weak children when they are nourished and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. This is the church. This is what I give my life to serving. I love the church. And we're not perfect here. Far from it. 
by God's grace and what he's doing in our lives, we strive to become more like Jesus Christ. This church is not a place where every leader, every pastor, every elder or deacon have it all together. We're not perfect. We strive to become more like Jesus. And God has called men to serve our church. I'm thankful for the team of men who serve alongside me in ministry at Edgewood Bible Church. And I'm praying that God would raise up more, more men to sacrifice more of themselves and come and serve with us. Would you join me in praying for that? Pray for that, that God would raise up more men to give of themselves. Pray that God would raise up holy men who love the Lord, who desire to serve him, who desire to make much of Jesus. Would you continue to pray for the leaders that we have? Pray for the elders that serve this church. Pray for Eric Peterson and Bob Oldright and Steve Thompson and Pat Thatcher and Ron Ferguson and pay for us as pastors, Pastor Ryan and Pastor John and myself. Pray that we would be faithful in studying the scriptures, that we would passionately study God's word so that we can share it with others, so we can teach God's word. Pray that we'll be faithful in our shepherding ministry that God has for us, that we would feed the flock and lead the flock and protect the flock and care for the flock. Pray that we'll be faithful in proclaiming God's gospel until Jesus comes back. Let's pray now. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity we've had to look at your word, to understand the rules that you've given us. And Father, I thank you for how you've designed the church. And you continue to, 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 to teach us, to show us in scripture that the, the church is a family. And that when we call each other brothers and sister, it means something. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we will spend eternity with one and another. Thank you for that, Father. I thank you for the leadership that you've given this church. I pray that you would continue to protect these men, protect their marriage, protect them in their ministry as they, they serve outside of this, this building weekly in their jobs. May they glorify you by their lives, by their words, by their actions. Help them as they serve here to, to care for people, to lead and protect and to shepherd people. I pray for the pastors as well, Father, that you would continue to grow them, you continue to, to guide them to leading your church faithfully. God, I ask that you would raise up more men, not only to serve in the, the, the role of an elder and a pastor, but raise up men to serve as deacons. And Father, we don't want to neglect this morning at all or somehow seem like the only role in leadership of the church is, is for men and, and elders and pastors. Father, I thank you for the women who sacrifice themselves. I thank you specifically for the ministries here, the ladies' ministry, those that desire to, to serve the body here by teaching God's word to other ladies, to counsel, to disciple, to mentor. Father, I pray you would encourage them in that. You would raise up more ladies in our church to do this ministry. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness in our lives. And now, Father, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to the, present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.